Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus Sleeman, and welcome to another episode of PM Hub Podcast Series, where we feature product leaders across the tech industry around the globe. Now, in this episode, we will talk about digital transformation at enterprise level and why your organizational transformation challenge is probably not as unique as you might have thought about it. Now, for this talk, I had the privilege to speak with one of the leaders in the industry, James Manson. Now, James leads the product teams at Intersect as a VP of product. His background is in the launch of digital products and platforms, mostly in large enterprises from the professional service side. And over the course of his career, James has had the opportunity to touch products and create digital experiences in wide range of industries, including banking, healthcare and pharma, property and real estate, retail and restaurants. Now, when he's not working on product platforms, you can find him geeking out on his hobby of value investing. All right, James, welcome to PM Hub. Thanks, Cyrus. Great. So, James, uh, I thought maybe to kick this off, uh, I thought maybe if you could share a bit about yourself and your journey into product management. So I entered into to product uh, from an interesting uh, angle, which was loyalty. And, and that was sort of my, my baptism by fire in the product space. And it's a great way to enter uh, product management and, and digital uh, design experience in general, I think, because loyalty touches so many aspects. Of, of an organization. You get to uh, put your hands on their technology, their business infrastructure, their process. Of course, marketing is a, is a, a big piece of those conversations. And so in touching all of those, you, you begin to get a sense uh, of, of the entire organization, how it works and how it comes together to create an, an experience for that end user. I think that's a fantastic foundation to uh, talk to I guess what a lot of companies refer to as their digital transformations these days, because that's exactly what digital transformation does is it, it, it brings together all the aspects of, of a company, uh, whether it's operations or technology and, and creates a, uh, an, another experience or, or a complementary experience for the end user. And so after loyalty, uh, I, I spent a few years building out those platforms. Loyalty sort of pivoted into what I would, uh, describe, I guess, today as a, a guest experience platform, um, which included loyalty, but was much bigger than that. And uh, so when I worked at Olson, uh, we, we tackled uh, some great uh, product platforms for, for some Canadian brands uh, that, that you definitely know and love um, in the, uh, the restaurant and retail spaces. And those product platforms encompassed uh, you know, not just that loyalty and marketing aspect, uh, which was important, but they also brought together uh, you know, things like uh, single sign-on and, and, and a single view of a guest across you know, the, the many different channels. Uh, it also brought together the idea that uh, a, a mobile or digital experience or, or a loyalty program uh, can be experienced both digitally and in-store. And so those two should complement each other. And, uh, and then, of course, it extended out to all of the other communication channels that we have uh, with customers available to us these days, which are SMS, push, email, uh, web. We even brought call center uh, and support conversations in, into that ecosystem. And so it becomes really not just about uh, a, a digital experience, but how you engage your customers. And that was the the challenge that we were solving, uh, not just for digital transformation, but for the whole organization. How are they going to position themselves 
in the service model to their customers over over the next five to ten years. And that pivoted into just increasingly large sized uh, engagements. So that was, uh, you know, I did some loyalty uh, engagements in the banking space. Uh, we we did restaurants and uh, and service industries uh, as, as well as I got into the guest experience platforms. But that grew into just 360 60 degree experiences uh, and, and customer engagement as we built new products from, from completely from scratch. And uh, those engagements just got increasingly large as, as bigger and bigger enterprises uh, begin to buy into that, that idea that their business needs to include digital in every aspect of the organization. And so I've sort of followed that journey of, of seeing the growth of digital uh, touch uh, more and more parts of an organization and become, you know, for lack of a better word, more insidious in, in every aspect of a business. Uh, and now it's just simply um, creating great experiences and great products. And that's now, I think, where every organization is at is how do we just make digital uh, a baked in integral part of, of every aspect of our business? Cool. Awesome. Uh, so I, I think at this point you are at Intersect. Uh, tell us a bit more about your current role. So Intersect uh, is a, uh, a boutique product shop, I guess. At boutique, I, I don't know if 150 to 200 people is still uh, a medium-sized uh, professional services company, but we we focus really on products. So uh, like a lot of agencies. Um, they've started making uh, deeper inroads into instead of just dealing with, you know, tactical one-off digital experiences, uh, you, you see a lot of companies getting stood up that specialize in actually building end-to-end uh, -end product ecosystems, and that's uh, Intersect speciality. And and uh, the company began as B Notions, and uh, that that was well before my tenure there, but. Uh, they put together a really great team, tons of smart people uh, working on, you know, web and, and mobile projects. BeanOceans was actually bought by one of its uh, its own clients, which was Symbility, and Symbility was in the uh, in, in uh, insurance and spatial space. And the the products that we built for them, uh, they enjoyed so much that they actually uh, acquired us. And then not long after that, we were actually acquired again um, by. Uh, CoreLogic, a, a large multi-billion dollar conglomerate out of the U.S. And uh, CoreLogic acquired both uh, Symbility and Intersect. And uh, so we became Intersect, a, kind of a, a product division of, of CoreLogic. And so right now, the company is still about 150 people. Um, and I share delivery responsibility on, on product with our, our VPs of technology and design. And uh, my team is uh, about a dozen or so product managers at any given time. And uh, yeah, we we tackle uh, problems at Intersect in, in, in really interesting spaces, which are usually uh, heavily regulated uh, industries. So uh, think insurance, think banking, uh, think healthcare. Th these are all spaces where uh, where the the need to really think about product from from many different aspects to clearly define the product problem um, before you you build and to be able to to traverse uh, a large enterprise uh, through compliance and legal uh, accessibility all of these have to come together to to create the experience and, and that's something Intersect has really excelled at. 
Right on. Very interesting. Very interesting journey you got into from your loyalty and all the way into different industries. Now, James, um, this is kind of like a staple question I ask because we are in the COVID era. So uh, I ask all my uh, guests, how COVID has affected your, your area of business overall? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, so, you know, obviously we had a, a bomb dropped on us, uh, you know, the, the whole world, you know, back in, in March. And uh, I think a lot of professional services firms and a lot of companies in, in technology uh, saw a really dramatic change to their business. You know, if if you're a professional services firm and you don't have a client that's in, uh, you know, travel or hospitality or, or healthcare, then, uh, you know, that's uh, that's fantastic. Your, your your organization might not have been as dramatically affected, but I know a lot do. And uh, and we're definitely in that category. Um, so from that respect, uh, we had uh, a couple of our clients who, who really struggled uh, we had a, an, an airline client and another client in, in the co-working space. So their their businesses were obviously uh, really disrupted, and uh, you know we we hope to to keep working with some of those clients down the road. But naturally, a number of their engagements uh, you know slowed down or, or or paused altogether. And as part of that, you know we we did some some reorganization. Uh, a number of our contract uh, staff were scaled back, and, and some of our temporary staff. Uh, and then I think uh, I think that was sort of the moment in time where where everyone was was most worried in March and April there. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that uh, we're we're all headed in the right direction now. Um, the world's looking a little brighter, I think, uh, you know, down the road. But as we look at what COVID has done to the, the digital and, and specifically professional services, it's actually going to create, I think, a, a whole new series of opportunities because every single company, every industry, um, is looking now at how they're they're going to re-enable, uh, you know, their customers to engage their brand and their business. And of course, uh, you know, in, in in a lower touch world, uh, that digital has to play a massive part in that. And so, some of the the businesses you might not immediately, uh, your head might not immediately go to when you think of of companies that need that sort of uh, infrastructure and technology are, are insurance uh, and real estate uh, and even you know data and market research companies uh, are, are seeing a lot of demand as well. Um, so in the insurance space, if you think of a, a traditional you know customer broker experience, these are these are areas that are extremely high touch, but um, a lot of insurance companies are are either just starting their digital roadmaps or or maybe are are only partially the way in and so you know they're they're looking to accelerate these uh, at at a record pace and that's what they're reaching out and seeking you know help and partnership on and that's uh, again like i said earlier the the real uh, i think strong suit of intersect and and similar professional services companies are in Dealing with heavily compliant spaces like banking and insurance and, and real estate, and so these are these are areas where we're seeing a lot of conversation and growth over the next uh, six to twelve months. Mm. Very interesting. Now, moving to the topic at hand, James, uh, I thought maybe just like we take it from the top, what is digital transformation in your view? Yeah, so I, I've touched on a couple aspects of it, uh, but I think the I think the easier question might actually be to start with what it's not, 
Um, so like I said, you know, digital, uh, in, in, from my perspective, uh, has, has evolved from, you know, being just a, a website or a marketing channel or, or a way to communicate with customers to a completely bi-directional uh, and multi-channel uh, world where customers can uh, seek, register, sign up, maintain, and otherwise manage their, their services and products. And, uh, you know, we're all familiar, obviously, with the big names that have, have brought a lot of that change to different industries from retail uh, to, you know, uh, finance, of course. But uh, the the real challenge is not replacing uh, companies' traditional business models, I think, but a lot of business models um, are actually going to continue to have manual uh, and in-person interactions for many, many years to come. So I mentioned insurance a few times, but... Insurance is one of those models where not everyone feels comfortable just buying an insurance product uh, off the shelf like they would uh, a new stereo. But the uh, the ecosystem that supports insurance uh, is definitely ripe for transformation in terms of purchasing digital experiences. And I think we can make that journey complementary and easier by bringing together uh, the technology that you, you see in a lot of other industry verticals like e-commerce um, and bringing it to the insurance vertical. And uh, you'll still have to, I think, call and collaborate with your insurance agents and your brokers. But you know, I think the management and execution and maintenance of those uh, those products can begin to fall back and rest on some of the digital uh, technologies that we, we begin to enjoy uh, in other areas. Um, Mostly, I think it's digital is stepping back and digital transformation is stepping back and rethinking how customers are engaging your company, uh, your products and the services, uh, and your staff too is a, a key part of that, and figuring out how to complement, enhance, and then sometimes streamline what might be old processes and ensuring that they include digital where it makes sense. So not just... Uh, you know, just shoving a, a grenade underneath, uh, you know, what you people call legacy processes or businesses and, and, and completely starting from scratch. But, uh, you know, not not throwing those uh, those good things out uh, along with the bad, but figuring out how to extract, you know, some of those old processes and, and rebuild them is, is the real key. And that's where you begin to get, uh, you know, the magic of uh, an in-store experience, you know, working along uh, with a, a really great digital uh, enabled experience. Hmm. Now I love how you connected that rethink of, you know, how your customers and your staff engage with you and your product to uh, kind of to combine, co to combine that with basically extracting uh, of, of all those you know, old processes you had in place that were working and, you know, they could still, you know, uh, you know, stay next to the digital product, but also help you get that magic piece that you were talking about. I love that. One, uh, uh -huh. one sort of example comes to mind, uh, you know, on a, on a, a previous engagement. So a, a company I worked for had uh, a client that uh, knew that if they could get customers to try their product, uh, they had a two or three hundred percent better chance of converting, uh, you know, that individual to a sale. And this was a, a physical retailer in store. Uh, and so what they did is they actually created digital experiences that made it faster for the customer to to get the product in their hands. So you think of, uh, you know, the, the challenge, obviously, of, of, 
of a, an apparel company or, or a retailer that sells, you know, clothing. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the, the sizes might be in the back room for, for boutique retailers and, and you can't store everything out on the floor. So giving the customer a really slick interface to quickly see if the size that they had was available in the shop. And if it was, to actually just press a button and uh, get uh, what, what we called at the time runners to run into the back or bring the product out from the back and uh, and hand it to you. This way, the, the sales rep or the, the associate can stay with the customer um, and you have someone facilitating that, uh, that grabbing of product so that you maintain a better customer touch point, a faster customer experience, and you're enabling those, those steps all along the way, both in the back room and out front with the customer using technology. Mm. No, I love that. That's that's exactly it. Now, why does digital transformation matter? So, again, I, I think I think there's lots of uh, answers out there for from different businesses, different industries as to why it matters. But it's really these days about just meeting customers' uh, expectations. So, with with the advent of uh, of streaming media and you know online e-commerce and uh, you know meal delivery to your door and then you can list uh, you know a dozen other companies and popular brands and services that are are creating these really slick experiences. People just expect uh, a higher uh, level of technology enablement in, the, in their services and products that they buy. And so when you think of traditional industries where you know you you have to go down and, and sit at someone's desk to to make a modification to a uh, a product that you've bought, those are, are just experiences that customers don't have a lot of patience for anymore. They, they expect that you can pick up a phone at minimum, but ideally open up a, a web browser or a mobile app and manage the services and products that, uh, that they've purchased. And so meeting customers uh, at their point of expectation, I think is, is key. Uh, and if we look at that, uh, you know, I, I think I mentioned before, it's not about replacing the human interactions, but keeping them them complemented. So you're you're always going to want to have with complex products, especially you know, looking at the heavily regulated spaces, uh, you're going to want to have those touch points or the availability of of uh, you know high knowledge individuals uh, and subject matter experts to speak to. Uh, you know what might be a foreign concept, you know, on an insurance policy or 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 a banking or financial product, but to have an alternative to that that is digital, uh, or you know, once you understand the product, to, to be able to manage it through digital channels, these are all great ways to bring them together as complements. Mm. Right on. Now, uh, James, you've led multiple digital transformation projects in your career. And so I'm curious, you know, from your lens, uh, now what does a digital transformation fr framework look like? So, you know, keeping that theme that we, we've been talking about, uh, Cyrus, I think the a digital transformation framework looks a lot like a business framework these days. You, you can't separate the two anymore. Um, so step one is, is really knowing uh, about how the business works and how the business model works knowing where revenue comes from today, where you want it to come from tomorrow, um, and clearly identifying the parts of that business model that can be made easier, 
better or cheaper uh, with some technology or digit digitization. Um, the next step, I think, is distilling those areas into really clear problem statements in, in preparation for uh, requirements and, and detailed analysis. And, and this is where a lot of companies, uh, you know, begin the, the struggle in a digital transformation roadmap is, is they, they know their business and they know their business model and they understand, you know, how they make money. Um, but they don't necessarily uh, have uh, the ability to begin translating some of the, the areas of their business into problem statements that could become uh, digital uh, elements on a transformation roadmap. So I think one of the first things you can do to, to help tackle that and call it a step three is ensuring that you have a, a leadership mandate of, of one or two people that are empowered to disrupt the status quo in, in your organization. Um, and executing on a, on a great digital uh, transformation roadmap is, is inevitably going to ruffle a few feathers in, in, a, in a large company where things have been done a certain way a long time. That's, that's uh, true of any organization probably. Uh, and so, you know, number four, I think, is, is you have to look at each of those pieces uh, and make sure the team is empowered with, with a few key things. Uh, time is a clear one. Um, we already mentioned problem statements uh, a little earlier, but also resources and budget to execute. So big transformations are uh, things that are inevitably going to change. Even the smartest team uh, of, of individuals that you can assemble or, or hire or, or outsource to will inevitably come back with questions, requests for more time budget, or even strategic advice on, on the future of the business that, that they want to use to inform some of the decisions. And those business priorities are, are, are bits of detail that you can help them with. But if you expect all of that ambiguity at the outset and expect that even the smartest teams will come back and want to make changes, if you set that expectation, it won't kill the momentum. So, but if you if you go into it thinking that you can just set a roadmap and execute on it, and uh, there will there will never be any. Uh, you know, disruption through that process, uh, it, it will kill the momentum. So expect change at the outset. That's that's a key key step. Um, and then the last thing I think is for a company's leadership, uh, knowing whether your organization, the people that are part of your teams, your staff, have that expertise to perform your own digital transformation, or whether you need to seek help and partnership. So you know, obviously I. I come from a, a long digital services background, but uh, I often find the the first conversations we have with companies are um, they just want help with one little aspect of it. And, you know, the deeper we get into the organization, the more we realize that, uh, you know, maybe their organization doesn't actually have all of the, the talent to lead, uh, you know, maybe the first or second version uh, of their digital transformation that they they should rely much heavier on external expertise to to get that momentum going, and then they could bring it back in house, uh, you know, with with time and training. But sometimes uh, knowing that as, as an executive team is 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 really hard, and you have to be in touch and in tune with your organization's culture to to suss that out. Mm. I'm just like a follow up on that last piece that you mentioned. Let's say your client just want you know think that only they only need you for a small piece, and as you said, you might realize that later on that actually there's a lot of other pieces that uh, they they seem to have uh, 
some some problems and we could we could help them with now i'm curious to know how do you handle that piece of educating your clients and handle that conversation on, on this topic <laughs> yeah it's a loaded question um so at, at first uh, you you definitely want to have candid conversations hopefully you're you're engaging clients that uh, are are you know, discussing the the opportunities with you in good faith, and and their their eyes really on that goal of transformation. But uh, you know, occasionally you do run into uh, engagements or clients where you know they may not, uh, like I said earlier, be in touch with their own culture and organization uh, enough to understand its capability to to transform itself. And so, uh, those are always difficult conversations. You you have to. Uh, read a, a given individual or client's uh, openness to to accepting help and, and sometimes leadership. Um, and sometimes you have to step back and, and let them attempt it, you know, once or twice uh, and, and see how they can they can proceed on their own or or help with the one area where they've asked for help and then, you know, take it from there. Um, but you the last thing I think you want to do is is try to, you know, push help where it's not asked for or needed. Now, what role does culture play in this digital transformation projects, James? So, culture plays a huge role. I, I mentioned it, uh, you know, just previously in your follow-up question. But um, organizational culture is a function usually of a long history of, of a company and how it uh, evolved. The people that were hired. It's there's there's so many inputs to culture, of course. Um, but I think the the attitudes of the team, which start at the top down, uh, are are key item to manage. And it's that attitude uh, uh, aspect of the culture that will be key. Because when you're starting digital transformations, you're about to undertake a journey of ambiguity. I think, and that's the that's the uncomfortable bit for most companies is they really don't know always where this this uh, transformation they're entering into is going to net out and and to try to figure that out all in advance is uh, an exercise in frustration you know we say that's boiling the ocean of uh, of, of requirements and product but the the key is focusing on uh, on attitudes so you want everyone to be mentally bought into the fact that we're about to disrupt our business a bit um, it's going to be a little uncomfortable but we're all in it together both vendors and staff it's one team, and uh, we're going to tackle this uh, with with that uh, cultural one team aspect in mind. And they have to trust their vendors. They have to treat them like partners. They have to empower the staff to make decisions and disrupt the organization. And then the last piece, I think, is empathy. So you you have to make sure that as you're as you're building that uh, culture of attitudes that are going to support your digital transformation, the empathy is one of the, the key aspects of it. It's got to be the lens that you, you view every, uh, every deliverable, every customer experience, every, every timeline ask or every difficult deadline through. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we're dealing with people. We're dealing with, uh, you know, uh, real customers, people's lives, uh, you know, and these are uh, touch points in, in people's uh, journey through life. And so you, you want to make sure that you're approaching them with a, a very high uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, Intersect has a simple saying, actually, I love it. Uh, it's just be good people. And uh, it's so simple, but but so true. Just 
as you think about everything you do, whether it's interacting with your colleagues, you know, doing your compliance training or helping support a launch or figuring out requirements for your end users, just be good people. Don't, uh, don't think like individuals, think, uh, think like a group and think like a, a society uh, that, you know, wants to support uh, better living for everyone. Now, what drives uh, digital transformation from your perspective? Necessity, right? It's uh, necessity is the mother of all invention, I think. And uh, so, you know, it's it's usually uh, companies like, you know, as we talked earlier in, in this situation where everyone's been working from home a little more during the pandemic, uh, you know, that's a necessity. Uh, and it's been the mother of invention for a lot of companies that have been forced to take a really, really hard look at the timing, budget, and investments they're making in in transforming their their organizations, and uh, you know they they hope and and they dream uh, along with the rest of us that uh, the world will return to normal. But I think there's going to be a a trailing uh, truth to all of this, which is companies have realized they have to be able to run more of their business at at, at arm's length with their customers, and even if it doesn't completely replace it. It has to be uh, a key aspect of, of how they operationalize their, their companies and products. And so, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's one of the main drivers of transformation. We see that uh, at moments in time like this, but uh, it happens uh, you know, on a slower, uh, more incremental basis as uh, competitors come in and introduce new necessities. And that's, uh, that's another aspect of it is think is we we've grown accustomed to certain experiences in in one industry or vertical uh we, like i said earlier i think we we carry those expectations into other verticals and other products and experiences and so customers don't understand when when uh, traditional companies can't bring those to bear as fast or or as slick as they'd like uh i think the next thing that drives digital transformation is, is scope and definition so you know, my my previous boss uh, was was really fond of saying, you know, I, I, ideas are easy, uh, but delivery is hard, and uh, execution is hard. And a clear scope and definition are are key aspects of making sure your your transformation moves at a velocity that your your organization is going to buy into. And if you do that well, you're going to uh, feed that flywheel of, of positive attitudes and culture, and everyone's going to see the company changing and say, "Yes, you know, this is we can see the momentum. Uh, it's exciting." And the last is is a hard truth, but uh, budget and money. Um, make sure you've funded uh, those transformations well. You're you're literally lifting up your house and and changing the foundation underneath it. And uh, the last thing you want to do is uh, is make that exercise one that isn't well funded uh, you know and, and you end up either rushing or or uh, half baking the uh, the foundation under your house and in which case it's going to crumble down the road and so make sure you've well funded your digital transformations that you're you're not putting too much pressure on teams from a budgetary standpoint you can still make them hit goals you know i think that's it's key to to you know keep expectations high but uh, don't set them so high that they can't be reached and, and make sure that, that you're giving folks the resources they need to succeed. 
Now, James, tell us a bit about the transition between the ideas to tactics when you work with your clients. This is, uh, you know, I touched lightly on this in the last couple of questions, but I think many companies get stuck on that flywheel of strategy and ideation because it's such a comfortable place to be. Um, there, there's no, there's no clear deliverables, no, no expectations of, of putting product into market uh, for customers and, and inevitably no, no negative feedback uh, if you don't end up putting these things out into the world. And uh, so strategy and ideation is, is important, but uh, it's a comfortable place for the organization to start. The uncomfortable bit uh, is, is where the magic begins to happen. And that is uh, why you want to time box that strategy and ideation phase, you know, give your organization a, a few months at the top to align themselves, uh, to align, like I was saying, that, that leadership, uh, set the expectations for disruption, put budgets in place, uh, put key organizational milestones in place. Uh, but then uh, when you get to the end of that period, uh, and inevitably you will, and folks will say, well, we need longer to figure out these other things, uh, put a stop to that. Say, hey, we have to get right down into tactics. We have to start by creating more uh, and sharper problem definitions. Uh, and we have to do all of that uh, and align it with the strategy. But th those problem definitions are going to be key because right after that, you want to move into product definitions. And the product definition has to be supported with a solid set of traceable, auditable uh, artifacts and technical uh, details. And you're not going to be able to ever get to that stage if you don't quickly move through those first couple of steps. And you're you're going to inevitably have to tackle this incrementally. If you're trying to figure out your registration experiences while also trying to figure out uh, how your team is going to deliver, you know, the dashboard or features that are, are six or 12 months or a year down the road, um, you're going to get stuck. And so you have to break these, uh, these problem statements, if you will, into bite-sized chunks that can then be put into epics and the epics can be uh, clearly laid out on on a delivery plan and a roadmap uh, and that those epics are supported with you know call them miniature business requirements documents well-defined requirements that are aligned on with legal compliance uh, you want to avoid spin in all of uh, all of the various verticals of your matrix organization so make sure that they all have input on those call them draft requirements for each bite-sized piece of your digital transformation. And it doesn't have to all be done at once. And then you're able to translate those into beautiful designs, beautiful technical flows, uh, beautiful uh, back-end requirements for, to, to build out your systems. All of the above uh, you know, sounds straightforward and easy, um, but uh, obviously corralling people towards these, these objectives and these artifacts is, is the real key. Hmm. Yeah, I, I love how you meant, talked about avoiding this spin by including all the stakeholders, that, and that's that's a big piece uh, that I think it's it's often overlooked uh, per se. Now, uh, so you know, you like we're talking about. So, what what are some top lessons that that you've learned from leading multiple of these uh, sort of digital transformation projects? Mm. It's uh, 
I think like a lot of things, you know, it, it follows the 80-20 rule. Um, most organizations, whether you're in healthcare, insurance, retail, uh, banking, what, whatever your business uh, or industry happens to be, I think 80% of the problem is the same. You know, you're, you're trying to allow customers, uh, as an example, to onboard quickly and provide you with bits of information that are, are needed to, to set up or, or register you for a product. Uh, and you know, collecting those informational pieces in in a low friction way uh, that allows users to quickly move to the good aspects of actually you know, making a decision on on a product or purchase is key. That extends to so many different uh, industry verticals, and so you look at problems like that; they're so consistent, but yet every industry uh, approaches it like they're reinventing the wheel. Um, and the the key there is the problem may not be unique. Uh, a lot of industries may have already solved that problem. Maybe not your industry, but other industries. Uh, and there, there's outstanding examples, uh, you know, to, to steal from, as, as Steve Jobs was always fond of saying, you know, the, the best artists steal. And so finding those, those areas where you can steal, beg, or borrow uh, ideas from is, is one of the, uh, the key lessons I've learned. Um, but then, I will also caveat that by saying that 20%, um, that industry or subject matter expertise that is, is particular uh, and, and key to your uh, industry vertical or sector or business, those that 20% can destroy the other 80 if you don't get it right. So if, uh, if you have a particular regulation that governs, you know, sales or pricing or your customers um, find themselves in a particular situation when they're buying your product, you have to make sure you take all those uh, into account. One thing I learned uh, doing a little work in the healthcare space years ago is, uh, you know, whatever empathy you, you think you have to carry into, you know, a typical product experience, you know, multiply that by 10. And that's what you, you have to carry into the experience when you're creating, for example, digital platforms for, for a new drug that might be addressing, uh, you know, ill patients or, or, uh, or cancer uh, patients. You know, these folks are obviously very difficult uh, moments in their life journey, and they have, uh, they expect, you know, that to, to carry into all the, the touch points for, for the drugs or, or healthcare professionals that they're interacting with. Right on. Cool. I'm, I'm a big 80 20 guy so i love i love to hear that from you as well that's that's cool um so how can i uh, you know measure the roi on a digital transformation project james yeah so we, we talked about supporting your digital transformation uh, and, and one of the ways of doing that really well is is through uh budgets and funding make sure you've you've not uh, created a blocker from a, from a dollars and cents standpoint for your teams um, or, or your vendors. But uh, the short answer is, is, is you can't always tie your digital transformation, uh, or at least you can't tie every aspect of it uh, to, to your bottom line. And, and that's because uh, in many cases, you're, you're actually just uh, reinventing or re-envisioning some of your existing products uh, or experiences uh, and figuring out how digital complements them. So the, the idea that uh, you can directly tie that to a, a particular sales target or figure is, uh, is a nice thought, but at a practical level, 
Um, sometimes you're just uh, providing an experience uh, or an evolution and an experience that your customers expect. And to not provide that, uh, and this is, I guess, a type of ROI in itself, is is to ask your customers to go find that experience elsewhere. And so, you know, you want to make sure you're retaining customers and uh, and that can be a type of return on investment as well. So that that's the the indirect aspect of of attaching like your bottom line to your your product roadmap. But the direct aspect is um, I think I've used in a couple of, of situations here the the registration or onboarding experience of customers. Um, you know, don't uh, don't make it excessively laborsome or difficult for for new customers to come into your your digital experience. You know, you wouldn't do that in person. Um, you know, if, if you're in the, the grocery store and uh, and there's four or five uh, checkouts that are, are full and a couple that are free, eventually, you know, they're going to, uh, you know, add some more support at the front of the store so that the, the lines get shorter. And uh, they're going to work quickly to, to do that, usually, we hope. And so, you know, in the same aspect, uh, think of ways to make uh, that onboarding uh, of a, of a new product or service experience if you're registering really quick, really light. Uh, one of the, the trends that I've loved in both insurance and banking is it used to be so laborsome, uh, all of the information you had to provide uh, to, to sign up for a new checkings or bankings account uh, or, or one insurance product like life insurance or, or car insurance. But they began to consolidate these flows, uh, like we were talking earlier, stealing some of the, the best ideas from retail experiences, making it so that uh, you only have to fill in this information once and then you can check out. So if, uh, if an address is required for, uh, for your car insurance and your, uh, your life insurance policy, um, you don't have to enter it twice. Uh, we get one consolidated flow that extracts from the customer what you need to actually uh, provide the product or service, and so, and if you don't have a if you don't have a key piece of information uh, in that flow uh, that isn't required right away, just don't ask for it. Uh, you know, if if you can remove barriers to to entry for customers, don't ask for information that you don't really need, uh, and that's that's a really challenging piece for a lot of product teams is taking a, a ten or fifteen uh, step flow and distilling it down to you know two or three steps and we we've done this in, in some insurance spaces where uh, a lot of the the actuarial questions um, that were being asked through evaluating what type of policy you'll need those questions uh, were were really de-risking a very small percentage of clients and we found out that we can ask those later on or as part of a follow-up or uh, or in some other fashion, and, and by doing that, you know, shrink that onboarding experience dramatically. When you do all of that stuff, that uh, can directly translate into a return on investment, and you begin mm -hmm. seeing that uh, in, in you know, new customer registration, signups, extra products, organic customer growth. Love that. Love that. How you also gave the example and the registration now. What are some key trends, James, in digital transformation in 2020? So the trends are, are, are still really table stakes. Uh, so we, I talked about uh, loyalty being the, the entry point at the beginning to a lot of, uh, of the digital world. It was the first time that, that companies had to think about uh, touching data and business processes in, 
usually they're a large matrix organization and bringing those aspects together to make uh, new experiences and, and to inform you know, data and transactions with customers. But uh, not a lot has changed. Uh, the key trends in, in 2020 are still really straightforward, multi-channel. Um, and these, these really do apply to large enterprise organizations, but increasingly making sure that they're thinking about their customers uh, through not just one channel, but many channels, uh, thinking about how you know, like the examples we were using earlier, how they're engaging uh, digital but in-store and how those in-store experiences, you know, uh, reinforce and trickle back to the, the right. digital experiences, uh, you know, down the road. Um, but then a key aspect and a trend, of course, has been mobile first. Uh, so while you're thinking about all the channels, think about the mobile one first. And that that's key because we're, we're doing so much more on our phones than we ever did in the past. Uh, I think you know a lot of us in, in the knowledge working space could probably make it through, you know, a day without ever having to open our computer if if we if we have a good mobile phone. Um, and then other trends, uh, legacy infrastructure continues to be a challenge for for large corporations, and uh, the the uh, I guess call it the organizational willpower to to wipe away or or otherwise, you know, radically transform a lot of that legacy architecture is is always a heavy lift, and that uh, that requires a lot of executive courage because uh, sometimes it means disruption to what could be very profitable business lines in order to uh, secure the future of of your long term business, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know that sort of feeds into I guess what would be my last trend is is long term roadmaps. Um, as long as the executive teams are thinking in terms of, you know, not just what I can do to tweak that one little experience uh, this week or next month or even this year, uh, or how can I, you know, get a 10% increase in registrations, but how can I get a, a 300% increase in, in registrations around boarding to my digital experiences? And what is the, the three, four, five year roadmap going to look like uh, from a technology design customer experience uh, standpoint or even product modernization in order to get us to that objective and if we're if we're taking bites out of that without viewing the the entire roadmap then all we're doing is uh, is i guess sucking the the life out of our company you know one quick win at a time mm-hmm. yeah that's that's a great way to put it okay so how can i get started and you know getting involved in a digital transformation if I want to, let's say, if I'm part of uh, my organization, organization, I want to kind of like get, get started on this. How do I go about it? Uh, it's a big question, but uh, if I could boil it down a little bit, I, I would say I would start with the end in mind. Uh, it, it sounds really cliche, uh, but know where you're headed. Make sure you have that north star and that trajectory and, and your compass heading all sorted out because those are things that uh, become increasingly hard to to change along the way and sometimes they do but uh, your, your life is going to be so much easier if you can get a nice solid north star for your project what are the four or five uh, key aspects of your of your customer experience or business that you're, you're looking to fix challenge or change uh, along the way um, and then don't think that you have to figure out that middle, everything between you and the North Star all at once. 
you, you really need to become a, a professional incrementalist. Uh, think about the problems incrementally one at a time between you and that North Star, and you can plot them out as, in as high of a, a level of abstraction as you need to. Um, but uh, don't boil that ocean. If you're if you're trying to boil the ocean uh, that gets you to that North Star, that's a great uh, great way to get into analysis paralysis and, and stay stuck there forever. Uh, and then I would say uh, I think I said it earlier, but uh, seek feedback from non-invested third parties that know you and your organization well uh, and determine if you have uh, the right culture and if your people and business have the right attitude to perform that digital transformation internally or whether you need to onboard external help and, and let them lead you through that transformation with, with your input. Uh, and if you can figure out those bits, uh, nail down those, those key uh, aspects of uh, a clear north star, uh, become a professional incrementalist, and uh, make sure that you know whether your organization is capable of, of doing it with the skill sets at hand, um, you're, you're going to have uh, yourself off to a pretty good start. Right. Uh, so where can our listeners also get to learn more about uh, you know, digital transformation overall? This... Uh, this is uh, is key. You know, we were talking about the 80/20, but that that 20 is is something that uh, you want to make sure you have a pretty good grasp on. So the once you've learned the 80% of of creating just good customer experiences, uh, you can carry that from industry to industry. Uh, but if you want to be really good at uh, thinking of problems, uh, you have to come at them, I think, from from many perspectives. And so, uh, data, uh, you have to get out in the deep end, get out of your comfort zone, look at the data that uh, not just your industry has, but um, view every industry, uh, explore uh, industries that you've never been part of before. If, if you're in insurance, uh, do a deep dive in banking. If you're in banking, do a deep dive into retail experiences and you know find a couple other industries and, and learn how they, they work, function, their history, their journeys, and uh, you'll, you'll begin to get uh, inspiration for your own industry. Uh, and the other thing I think is is learning learning to come at things both laterally uh, and, and from behind too. So uh, one of my favorite sets of books are written by the, uh, are written by uh, for Freakonomics. So the, the Freakonomics authors, uh, which I believe are, are Stephen Levitt and, uh, and Stephen Dubner, um, those two guys, are are brilliant at coming at data problems from from different angles and with no bias. Uh, and if you can come at your industry uh, with that thought process in mind, um, you're, you're gonna you're gonna learn things that you you, you didn't know were there. So yeah, uh, get out of your comfort zone, get into the data, uh, read some some books uh, that encourage. Uh, a new mental model of, of looking at data and, and learning from it. And then learn key principles. I, I think so many of our, our disciplines carry across multiple industries. Uh, you know, I, if, you're, if you've studied economics, you've read The Wealth of Nations, or you've gone to Code Academy and taught yourself uh, you know, one or two languages, you know the basics of accounting, um, you've read some history uh, and biographies. Uh, Shoe Dog was a great one. Um, you know, read up on the story of Nike and, you know, learn, 
learn how other uh, you know great thinkers have come at uh, business problems because like I was saying earlier, chances are uh, the challenges you're trying to solve have been solved somewhere else and uh, you can probably bring some of those learnings to, to your particular situation. So get curious, um, dive out into the world of, of subject matter uh, and uh, learn something new every day. Um, and that's going to just increase your, your knowledge base and give you, I think, a better foundation to uh, create some wisdom for your, your business or industry. I love that. Love that. Thanks for sharing. Now, now, what's your next for you and your team at Intersect, James? So we're, like I said earlier, we're excited to see what uh, the world is is going to do as it embraces more remote interactions, and and we want to see what that looks like long term for a lot of our our customers and clients. And uh, I'm pretty pumped to help our customers with this. It's, it's going to be fun. Great. So last question. It's again another staple, James. What is your top quarantine tip? Uh, so our our company had a pretty solid work from home culture uh, at at the outset, but uh, obviously we we never tested it at this scale uh, and and all at once. But a few personal items. Uh, go for walks. You you have to get out of that office. Uh, you know whether you've set up your temporary office in in the middle of your your living room and all the, the chaos that might uh, generate or whether you, you've got a, a quiet corner of the house that you've been able to to wall yourself off in, um, whatever your situation, uh, get out of the house for a few minutes, stretch those legs, good for good for the blood pressure, good for your health and uh, you know, generally good habit, I think. Um, and then a couple more, maybe call your coworkers more frequently. Sometimes it's nice just to pick up the phone. Uh, you got a, a message or text call them, say hi, and say, hey, I saw your text. Uh, figured just, you know, give you a quick shout. Uh, and another one that uh, a colleague, uh, you know, brought to my attention right at the the top of the pandemic was uh, open conversations, open meetings and Zoom calls with with a nice bit of, of conversation uh, or chat, you know, the doesn't have to be about the project or the or on the agenda for the call, but, you know, shoot the breeze. Uh, whether it's weather or sports, whatever it happens to be, you know, pick something that uh, you can just get to know folks a little bit on. And, and uh, it's really nice too, if you're, if you're on a lot of you know, Zoom calls every day with folks that you haven't met before, it's, it's a great way to break the ice as well. Great. Well, James, thank you so much uh, for being my guest and sharing your thoughts and insights and uh, digital transformation at enterprise level. My pleasure. Thank you so much. There you have it, guys. I hope you enjoyed today's talk with James Manson on digital transformation at enterprise level. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at, at PMHubTO. And until next time, stay safe and healthy.